0: All right, if you have a Bible, grab it and make your way to 2 Kings chapter 11. 2 Kings chapter 11, that's on page 317 in the black hardback Bibles around you. Uh, We'll be reading the whole chapter here in a few minutes, so it'll be helpful to you if you have that out in front of you, open in front of you. Um, and while 2 Kings chapter 11 may not be something you've read lately or maybe ever, it is something that I would be willing to bet the storyline, at least, the plot, the underpinnings of it, at least, you are familiar with. Because it's pretty much where it, it, it's pretty. Like, have, how many of you have seen the movie The Lion King? Either old or new. Okay, so you're familiar with this story then. Because what happens in the Lion King is you have Simba, right? He's born, he's born to be king and he sings a song about it. And then there's a threat to the kingdom. Someone else usurps his power, right? Scar. And so Simba flees and he's got some companions then who find him and kind of take him into protective custody, help him, you know, stay alive for years to come until the time is right. And then he comes back and he takes the throne. What is rightfully his. That's the story, the basic story, the basic plot of Second Kings chapter 11 with a young child who becomes king named Joash. So it's a basic story. And so in a lot of ways, it's something that is familiar to us. And yet without this story, we wouldn't be sitting here. None of us would be in this room right now. Because Joash, he's the last of David's line. He's the last one. No one else is left alive. You have this crazy lady, kind of a Judean Jezebel we're going to meet, named Athaliah. And she kills everyone. All of David's descendants. And so Joash is the last one here. But there's one lady who comes in. And if it wasn't for her, there would be no Christmas Thus, there would be no Messiah. There would be no salvation. We would not be in here worshiping Jesus for rescuing us from our sins. And so the story, while it's the story of Joseph, it's also the story of the, this lady who saves Christmas. And, and saves the fact that we can be saved. Without her, this would not happen. Because God had promised that he would send the messiah from the line of david. John read that out of 1st chronicles 17 you can also see it in 2nd samuel 7 where it says god says to david your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. your throne shall be established forever. and so if that line ends if joash is killed there is no messiah. there's no christmas, there's no salvation. So if it wasn't for this godly, faithful lady, none of that would happen. None of us would be here. And so this chapter, chapter 11, is a whole lot more than a quaint story about a baby born to be king or some just level of Bible trivia about the youngest person who's ever crowned the king of Judah. Now, it's an eternity-shaping moment. That is not an overstatement. It is an eternity shaping moment. Christmas is on the line. The Messiah is on the line. Atonement is on the line. New heavens and new earth, the restoration of all things. That's on the line. This is a big moment here. Joash is the last. And yet, what is so striking in this is how God works. Because it's not something, we're not going to see something crazy, we're not going to see something extraordinary. What we're going to see is just ordinary folks living lives of faithfulness. And then others repenting and rededicating themselves to the Lord. And so I think this chapter actually has a whole lot to teach us. kind of in a couple of different ways. But I think it's got a lot to teach us. And so let me read it to us. And then we will talk about three major truths from this portion of God's word. Okay. So let's read this together. 2 Kings chapter 11, verse 1. Now when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, we saw him get killed last week, Jehu's purge, saw that her son was dead, and <clears throat> she arose and destroyed all the royal family. But Jehosheba, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being put to death. And she put him and his nurse in a bedroom. Thus they hid him from Athaliah so that he was not put to death. And he remained with her six years, hidden in the house of the Lord, while Athaliah reigned over the land. But in the seventh year, Jehoiada... And Jehoiada and Jethro in the book of Chronicles, it tells us they're actually married. But in the seventh year, Jehoiada, who's who's the priest, sent and brought the captains of the carites and of the guards and had them come to him in the house of the Lord. And he made a covenant with them and put them under oath in the house of the Lord. And he showed them the king's son and he commanded them, this is the thing that you shall do. One third of you, Those who come off duty on the Sabbath and guard the king's house, another third being at the gate, sure, and a third at the gate behind the guards, shall guard the palace. And the two divisions of you which come on duty in force on the Sabbath and guard the house of the Lord on behalf of the king shall surround the king, each with his weapons in hand. And whoever approaches the ranks is to be put to death. Be with the king when he goes out and when he comes in. The captains did according to all Jehoiada the priest commanded, and they each brought his men who were to go off duty on the Sabbath with those who were to come on duty on the Sabbath and came to Jehoiada the priest. And the priest gave to the captains the spears and shields that had been King David's, which were in the house of the Lord. And the guards stood, every man with his weapons in hand, from the south side of the house to the north side of the house, around the altar of the house, on behalf of the king. Then he brought out the king's son and put the crown on him and gave him the testimony. And they proclaimed him king and anointed him. And they clapped their hands and said, Long live the king. When Athaliah heard the noise of the guard and of the people, She went into the house of the Lord to the people, and when she looked, there was the king standing by the pillar according to the custom and the captains and the trumpets beside the king and all the people of the land rejoicing and blowing trumpets. And Athaliah tore her clothes and cried, treason, treason. Then Jehoiada, the priest, commanded the captains who were set over the army, bring her out between the ranks and put to death with the sword anyone who follows her. For the priest said, let not her be put to death in the house of the Lord." So they laid hands on her and she went through the horse's entrance to the king's house. And there she was put to death. And Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people. That they should be the Lord's people and also between the king and the people. Then all the people of the land went to the house of Baal. Now, the one in Israel had been destroyed. But Athaliah, this Judean Jezebel, had set up a new one there in Judah. So there's a new house of Baal. Then all the people of the land went to the house of Baal and tore it down. His altars and his images, they broke in pieces. And they killed Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars. And the priest posted watchmen over the house of the Lord. And he took the captains of the chariots and the guards and all the people of the land, the land. And they brought the king down from the house of the Lord. Marching through the gate of the guards to the king's house. And he took his seat on the throne of the kings. So all the people of the land rejoiced. And the city was quiet after Athaliah had been put to death with the sword in the king's house. And so the first thing, all right, there's that story. And so the first thing that I think this text teaches us is something that's been a theme throughout the entire series of these books of Samuel and these books of the kings. And it's this, number one in your notes. The mission of God is unbreakable. The mission of God is unbreakable. All right, because again, you've got this like Judean Jezebel, possibly even the daughter of the evil Jezebel through intermarriage. But definitely kind of patterned her life after that snake queen of Israel. And so when she hears that her royal son Ahaziah has been killed, she vows by any means necessary, I will be the queen of Judah. I will be this. I'm going to make it happen to the point that she even has her own grandsons systematically executed so that there will be no other rightful claim to the throne. That's how bloodthirsty she is. And in doing this, she's seeking to destroy the house and the line of David. Again, the Messiah comes from David. And what's happening here, like when she does this, this desire to eliminate the seed of David, it it reminds us, if you'll put your thinking caps on her flip there, in Genesis 3.15... This has been the plan of Satan all along. Genesis 3.15 is a promise that one will someday come and crush the head of the serpent, David. A seed of woman will come and crush the head of the serpent, Satan. And so ever since that day then, Satan continues to attack any hopes of this coming seed of the woman who would crush his head. And so you see it throughout the, script, the scriptures. Cain kills Abel. Pharaoh kills all the little Hebrew, Hebrew boys. Saul seeks to kill David. Herod massacres all the children trying to kill Jesus. This has been Satan's play since Genesis 3. And so it shouldn't really surprise us then today that the enemies of the kingdom of God oppose us as we seek to be his witnesses. Until the second coming of Christ, there will continue to be a struggle of light versus darkness, righteousness versus, versus wickedness, and truth versus error. And so don't be surprised when tensions of this pop up in your office, at your school, at your shop, at your Thanksgiving family reunions. But take hope Because like here, try as she might, Athaliah could not kill Joash. Like Joash survives the remaining line of David. Like the last one survives. And the reason is because the mission of God is unbreakable. Like no one can stop God from accomplishing his mission of redemption and restoration. Like that four act story of the Bible. And we talk about creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Like that's how to understand eternity. What God is up to in the beginning, He created. Fall, man, sin, and ever since then, He's working out redemption, bringing people back into fellowship with Him. And someday will come an ultimate restoration of everything that's gone wrong. New heavens, new earth. That's coming, and it will come because nothing can break God's mission. The mission of God is unbreakable. Nothing can stop the line of David and the coming of the Messiah then. And nothing can stop the return of the Messiah very soon. And we have to hang on to this truth very tightly. Because in the midst of our crazy world today, as you look around globally at things that are going on, and how the global church in particular is attacked... Sometimes nothing looks so unlikely and remote to us as when the kingdom of this world becomes the visible kingdom of our Lord. But it will come. For God has decreed it to Jesus. And no Athaliah, no legislation, no nation, no United Nations, no nothing will ever be able to stop it. All of God's promises are certain no matter how much resistance they meet because God made them. God made them almighty, infinite, omnipotent, omniscient, sovereign over the universe, God. And his promises may look a little different than perhaps we might expect. And they may not be on the timeline, perhaps that we would prefer, but they will happen because God cannot be thwarted. It is an impossibility by the mere fact that he is God. That's the first thing that we see here. The mission of God is unbreakable. All right, that's number one. Number two, I first want to get verses one through three back in our minds before I tell you what it is. Now, when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal family. But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, that's the kid, that's the baby, the toddler the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being put to death, she put him and his nurse in a bedroom. Thus they hid him from Athaliah so that he was not put to death. And he remained with her six years hidden in the house of the Lord while Athaliah reigned over the land. So my first name is Joseph, right? It's a biblical name. A lot of you in here, have biblical names a lot of you who are parents have named your kids biblical names you find someone in the bible you like they stood for God they did something mighty or something like that you respect them something stood out to them and so you name your child after that person but have any of you heard of anyone naming their daughter Jehoshaphat? no none of us have done that Good for you. That's probably a good idea. (laughs) And most of us probably not only haven't named our kids that, we probably haven't even heard this name very much. We're probably not very familiar with this name very much. And then we're not even given the name of the nurse, right? We're just told there's a nurse. Not even given the name. Just like we weren't given the name of the little servant girl who helped save Naaman a couple of chapters ago. Chapter 5. And yet, all of these people, these no names—I mean, without the nurse here, without Jehoshaphat again, the line of David ends. No Christmas, no Messiah, no salvation. But again, Jehoshaphat—none of us have really heard of her. Nurse, we're not given the name. And so, what this teaches us, I think, in number two in your notes, is this: that the ministry. Of unsung heroes is inestimable. The ministry of unsung heroes. We don't, we've never even heard of Jehosheba, Most of us. We don't even get the nurse's name. We don't get the servant girl's name. In the, in the story of Naaman. Right? The ministry of unsung heroes. Is inestimable. No one's naming their kid after Jehosheba. Most of us again. We don't even recognize her name. And dear friends, most of us, like people will not recognize our names either. But the judge of all the earth takes notice of every seemingly little piece of obedience. He sees. He knows. We live for Him, not the praise of man. Not the renown of man. I mean, notice here. Jehoshaphat and the nurses, like their obedience, was it public and seen? No, it's hidden. It's hidden. No one knows about it except like them because that's what they're doing. Like they're protecting Joash. And that's how the kingdom of God normally works. It grows and advances in the quiet, day-by-day, faithful obedience of people whose names we don't get. That's how God works primarily. Not by showy performances. Too often, I think we look for showy performances both as a measure of our value in the kingdom, as well as like a measurement of big moments in our lives. Like if this big thing happens, I have this a huge emotional response to this big production and show. I mean, listen, you can manipulate someone's emotions all day long. We could get fog and lasers and black out these lights over here and, and work the sound and work the system and gain a following, gain a crowd. That is not hard to do. But that's not what you need. You don't need emotion every single Sunday morning. You need the word. And so that's what we'll give you. That's what God told us to give you. Not just little snippets of it. And I'm not knocking like big, huge performances. I've been I I've been to a lot of conferences and I've heard some amazing sermons by people like within the Christian world that are well known, right? One of the best sermons I've probably ever heard in my life is a sermon by a guy named Ligon Duncan. He's a PCA guy uh, in Jackson, Mississippi. And I remember a couple years ago, I was at a conference called Together for the Gospel and he preached a sermon out of Numbers chapter 6. At a time in my life when I was struggling with I, whether I wanted to continue in ministry. And it was huge in my life. So I can remember that moment. 10,000 people there. So I can remember that. I can call that out. But you know what was, what's far more impactful in my life overall? The 45 sermons I'd hear per year by a guy named Dois Nord that no one's ever heard of who preached in a little country church to 70 of us. Just dripping the word of God on my hard head until that water started to make a dent. That just consistent, faithful, week by week what Dois Knorr, we called him preacher, what preacher was doing faithful man no one's ever heard of him and we probably all have stories like that i can't i can't tell you a single sermon i tell you this sermon about preacher this one day i can't tell you any sermon like but 15 years of that profound impact and we probably all have stories like that of some way for some of us it may have been a mom or dad for those of you who are moms or dad it does need to be that Dale Ralph Davis is a guy that uh, writes some commentaries. And he's one of the guys I consulted for pretty much all of these series. And he's been very helpful in a lot of ways. And commenting on an objection we might have. Where someone might you know, erroneously think that their service to God is not as crucial as Jehoshaphat's here. He, he writes this. Are you sure? Because if you are a Christian parent you have the responsibility over the church in your house where you are meant to serve as a prophet, priest, and king. Notice the title of our series. All these things we see in the book of Kings, all these things are fulfilled in Jesus. This is his threefold purpose. This is his threefold office. We'll talk about that when we wrap it up again. But as prophet, parents, you are to teach the word of God to your children. As priest, you intercede and wrestle in prayer for them. As king, you rule over them with proper dis- discipline and protection. And he writes, "Del Roth Davis writes this: It's because my parents understood that that I am in the kingdom of God. Don't tell me your kingdom service service doesn't matter. The ministry of unsung heroes is in." inestimable inestimable friends i want us to get that we've we've got to shift our minds from just thinking about the big and the flashy because the reality is this in providence god not just this church i'm talking about his attribute in providence god accomplishes his purposes most often through seemingly ordinary means and ordinary people And so, friends, be encouraged. Your ministry, if you are a Christian, my ministry, we want to be unsung heroes who are faithful. That's the measure of success in God's economy. Faithfulness over the long haul, not just in a short snippet, over the long haul. That's the measure of success, not a flesh. Not, not a flash. And so let us endeavor to be like Jehoshaphat and this unnamed nurse. Let's endeavor to be faithful and be content in making a name for Jesus, not a name for ourselves. Because the ministry of unsung heroes is inestimable. They are the ones who preserve the faith once for all delivered to the saints over and over and over and over and over. Alright, so number one, the mission of God is unbreakable. Number two, the ministry of unsung heroes is inestimable. And now number three, which kinda it comes at the end of the chapter when Joash is king, and we're gonna kind of shift here because this one's really gonna be calling for some action here, but it's not it's it's this. The action of repentance is war. The action of repentance is war. And I'm not talking about warfare, I'm talking about war on our sin. Look at verses 17 through 18. So Joash has been made king and Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people that they should be the Lord's people. And also between the king and the people. And then all the people of the land went to the house of Baal and tore it down. His altars and his images, they broke in pieces and they killed Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars. And the priest posted watchmen over the house of the Lord. And so note this, what's happening here is you're having this covenant renewal. All right, that's what's taking place, a rededication. All right, a.k.a. repentance. That's what's taking place here. And on the heels of this repentance, what do they do? They repent, verse 17, verse 18, what do they do? It's right there. They destroy their idols. They destroy the temple of Baal. Okay, they make war on their idols. They're displaying the truth that there is an action side of repentance, not just a feeling side. Okay, there's an action side of repentance. That we must make war on our sin. Listen to the way Paul describes it in Colossians chapter 3. If then, this is verses 1 through 11. If then, you've been raised with Christ, okay? If you are a believer in Jesus, if that is true, then seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, okay, on the basis of the fact that you are a Christian, and that Jesus has made you a new creation, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. And so verse 5 there again. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. The, the literal word there is murder. It's this, in Greek, it's the same word. It's murder. It's kill. All right? The idea is that you don't play around with your sin you kill it. You make war. You attack it. So most of you know I'm originally from Pine Log, right? Northwest Georgia, country, way out in the country. Grew up on a farm. And in like one of the problems that comes along sometimes with, with being in the country are wild dogs. Okay? I'm not talking strays. Like strays come up, we would, they would become our pets. That's how we got most of our pets. They were strays. We gave them unbelievably creative names like Scruffy Dog, Black Dog, White Dog. That's how we named them. So strays are one thing, but wild dogs, those that will group up in packs and they'll get after your livestock, sometimes even get get after people, those you don't tame, you kill them. You shoot them. You don't try to tame those. Or, you know, the movie Old Yeller, right? Every time I see it. Every time, right? You know, I mean, I know it's coming, but it still gets to me. But still, I mean, the reality there, like you can't, you know, quarter a rabid dog. It's going to attack you at some point, somewhere, sometime. And so you've got to put it to death. That's, That's what Paul's getting at here. Like, don't be Dustin from Stranger Things. Those of you who have seen Stranger Things, he takes in this little slug-like demodog thing, names it Dart, okay? Some of you have no idea what I'm talking I'm talking to the people. I gave old yeller for 40 and above. I'm giving Stranger Things for 40 and below, all right? He takes in this slug-like thing, dog thing that, that he names Dart, and he keeps it secret. He doesn't tell anybody about it. He doesn't want anybody to know about this. It's his little pet. It's his little toy. He's trying to tame it, right? So no one knows about this thing until it's full-grown and starts killing stuff. For that's how sin works. If you just play around with it, it will grow. And so as the Puritan John Owen put it, be killing sin lest sin be killing you. Be killing sin lest sin be killing you. And no one sets out to have an affair, right? No one sits, no one wakes up in the morning and is like, hey, I think I'll go have an affair today. No one has that mindset. But it happens over time, gradually. Tolerating this, tolerating that, not attacking it, not repenting of it, not turning away from it, and then beginning to justify it. And then before you know it, boom. And that's why we're called to kill also these so called smaller sins from Colossians 3. Anger, malice, slander, obscene talk, and lying. They may be small, but you play around with them. They will grow. And so that's why even they must be killed. So how is your anger? How's your anger? How's your anger at people who disagree with you? How's your anger at people who think differently than you? Well, malice. Ooh, I hope bad things happen to this person because they're bad. Slander. Obscene talk. Lying. If we don't war against them, they will grow. And so, friends, there's an action to repentance. And that action is to make war against our idols and our sin. All right. But there's one last thing there in verses 17 through 18 that I couldn't help but notice. It's not like a major point, but I'm going to talk about it for a minute. And it's that the covenanting there that they're doing It isn't just like between an individual and God. Just one individual and God. There in verses 17. And Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people that they should be the Lord's people. So it's not just an individual with God that they're rededicating. This is a covenant. This is a together thing. It's the whole people together committing to be a people of God's own position. Possession, dedicating their lives to the Lord for his glory. And this is a great reminder to those of us who are members of this church about the importance of our community and our covenant together. Because Christianity isn't a Lone Ranger religion, it involves covenant relationships. But many today want the benefits of a local church without committing to a covenant people. It's like dating versus marriage. Right? But at some point you need to put a ring on it. Both literally, if you're dating someone forever, and figuratively here. Like if a a membership in, in a church... Because following Christ involves belonging to a people covenant together who care for one another and live on mission together. And so in starting point, I read this quote very often about who we are seeking to be as a church and what membership is all about. So let me read it to you now. This is from Mark Dever, pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church in D.C. He says, if you think of yourself as a strong Christian and you get really excited to listen to a David Platt or Matt Chandler sermon or read a John Piper book, but you can't be committed to a group of people who are different than you, who the only thing they may have in common with you is Jesus Christ with all their faults and foibles, then I think you might not have much reason, maybe, to even think that you're converted. And so we demonstrate to the world that we've been changed not primarily because we memorize Bible verses, pray before meals, tie the portion of our income, and listen to Christian radio stations, but because we increasingly show a willingness to put up with, to forgive, and even to love a bunch of fellow sinners. And we can't do that nor can we demonstrate love or joy or peace or patience or kindness sitting all by ourselves on an island. Rather, we demonstrate it when the people we've committed to loving give us good reasons not to love them, but we do anyway. That's what a church is. That's the covenant community that Christ calls and that we pray continues to build here. Where I'm here for you and you and you. And you're here for like all those things. Bearing one another's burdens. And so in joining a church, you're saying, Hey, I'm now your responsibility and you are my responsibility. There's no I in team. There's no me in church. We're a community. We're an assembly. We're an ecclesia. That's the Greek word. Committed to Christ and one another. And in that, let's be glad to be unsung heroes. Because that ministry is inestimable. And let's glory in the fact that Christ will accomplish his purposes. He will complete the good work he started in you in the day of Christ Jesus. And he will ultimately usher in the restoration of all things, all the sad things come untrue, new heavens, new earth. No more sin, no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more tears. And all this happens because God's mission is unbreakable. And if you have any doubts about that, go ask the lady who saved Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of these things, that your mission is unbreakable. And that you will complete in us the work that you began. We thank you that... I mean, it's just a true statement that the the ministry of unsung heroes is inestimable. And we'll never know this side of glory. How you take little acts here and here and here, like seeds that are sown, that we will never, ever, ever see pop up and grow. And how you use them for the benefit of our neighbors and the glory of your own name. And Father, I pray you would help us to have the courage and the tenacity to fight Our sin, to not roll over and just say, well, this is just how I am, but to fight, to make war. And not alone, not trying to keep things as a secret pet in a corner and letting it fester and grow, but in relationship with one another, being known and knowing one another. Father, we are needy people. We are in need of your grace moment by moment. We're in need of your aid and your help. And you give it. So often we run from it. We don't. We don't love you enough. We love things more than we love you. We love our sin more than we love you so often. And so, Father, forgive us and change us and help us. And have your way with us. And be, wor- be glorified in us today, even as we repent and begin to make war on our sin. In Jesus' name.